All right, well, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians. We've, we've been studying through the book of Hebrews verse by verse. We're going to step out of that uh, just for this week, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. And the reason we're doing that is this week is uh, the time when families gather together around the table to feast often gathering from great distances, driving or flying in to be together with family and friends. And they do this in the name of giving thanks. Thanksgiving is a joyful, joyful thought, a purposeful and wonderful holiday that we celebrate together. And so that's what I want to remind us of this morning is thanksgiving. As followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to be marked by thanksgiving. You think that word thanksgiving, it really is defined in its name. It's the giving of thanks. It is to show oneself to be grateful, to be thankful to God. Notice it is to show oneself to be. It's not to act thankful when you gather together with other people who are supposed to be thankful. It's to be thankful and to demonstrate gratitude. So what does it mean that we ought to be marked by thanksgiving? Here's what I want to contend this morning. I want to contend that as believers, we shouldn't see a significant difference in our attitudes or thoughts due to a national holiday. Don't get me wrong, I love Thanksgiving. I love the holiday. We should celebrate it. We should feast. Do it. Because feasting is a display of Thanksgiving. But we shouldn't see a significant difference. In other words, my sons should not look at me on Thursday and think, man, I wish he were more like this the rest of the year. We ought to be marked by thanksgiving. We ought to be the most thankful people in the world. And so stand together and follow along. Colossians, I'm just going to read two verses from Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gift of your word, Lord. We praise you that you have entrusted to us your very word. And we ask you to help us as we come to your word This morning, as we look at this text, as we look at so many other scriptures throughout our time together, we pray that you would use your word to do what only you can do awaken. Help us, Lord, to delight in your word and ultimately to delight in you and to be a people who are marked by thanksgiving. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I want you to consider the flow of what Paul is saying here in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. As you received Christ, as you embraced Him, as you were found in Him, walk in Him. 
Okay, there's an outflow that's happening that Paul's talking about here. You receive Christ, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, Paul is addressing in the context here the temptation to stray away from truth. And in these few words in verses 6 and 7, he's strengthening and imploring the Colossians to remain steadfast in it, to, to remain steadfast in truth. And a mark of that, an expression of that, is that they are presently abounding in thanksgiving. Walk in Christ abounding in thanksgiving. So I want to ask you, do you think honestly that you are marked by thanksgiving, that you are abounding in thanksgiving? That word abounding is important in the text. It means overflowing. Overflowing with thanksgiving. You are found to be in Christ. You received Him. So walk in Him. And as you walk in Him, be rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, overflowing with thanksgiving. Are you overflowing with thanksgiving? Now, when's He speaking of? Is it just when we come together in church and we look at the Word, we open it up, and we're reminded again, here we are a people who are found to be in Christ. Because of His grace, because of His mercy, here we are. In those moments, overflow with thanksgiving. No. He tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances because of this truth. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Often in our lives, when circumstances arise, we will say, I don't know what God's will is for me in this. But the reality is, Paul tells us, we do know at least some of God's will, no matter the circumstance. And that is that you would be overflowing with thanksgiving. So that's a starting point for us. How can I be thankful in this? As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding, overflowing in thanksgiving. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want, based on Paul's admonition in Colossians 2, that we'd be overflowing with thanksgiving. I want to look at some enemies to overflowing thanksgiving and some evidences to overflowing thanksgiving and lastly, the explanation to overflowing thanksgiving. And so what are some enemies to overflowing thanksgiving? We're going to look at three of them. Certainly there are, there are more that we could come up with, but three that we'll look at this morning. The first is this, pride. Pride is an enemy to overflowing thanksgiving. And maybe we all saw that coming. We knew that was coming. Pride is the greatest enemy to overflowing thanksgiving, or for that matter, for thanksgiving altogether. Pride says, I can do it myself. I have the strength to do this. I'm able to do this. I'm talented enough to do this. I'm smart enough to do this. And yet, 
often pride will clothe itself in language that is thankful. It's extremely deceptive to our souls. I've said throughout the years, preaching on pride, pride is a hard thing to preach on because those of us who are prideful will never hear it. We will sit and think, yeah, so-and-so really needs to hear this. I hope they're listening. Because prideful people are deceived by their pride. And they clothe it in this language that is thankful. It says things like, all glory to God, or apart from grace, I could not. While believing it really could, and that actually God gave them the talent to do it themselves, and they deserve the recognition. They deserve the praise. They deserve the attention. And so when they don't get it, they're not thankful. Galatians 6, 3, Paul writes, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's what pride does. It it tricks us. It fools us. The Lord says in Deuteronomy 8, he warns, verses 17 and 18, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. It's the Lord who gives us anything and everything that could make us able to do whatever it is He's called us to do. And whatever we have is only and always because of Him. Jesus Speaking to his disciples in Matthew 23, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Pride is an enemy of overflowing thanksgiving. 1 Peter 5.5, consider the picture that Peter paints here. We see this in James as well. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride is an enemy of overflowing thanksgiving because it lies about who deserves the thanks. The second enemy of overflowing thanksgiving is selfishness. Now this enemy of overflowing thanksgiving and the third enemy are certainly fruit of pride. But for the purpose of of talking about thanksgiving, it's good to have them as their own points. Selfishness is an enemy of overflowing thanksgiving. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He doesn't just say, count God as more significant than yourself. But in doing so, as you come before a holy God and count Him as more significant than yourself, let the fruit of that be that you're counting others as more significant than yourself as well. And just as as, as a reminder, 
Selfishness is not simply wanting everything for yourself. It's not just Christmas morning where kids are looking and wishing, I had that, and I had that, and I had that. I wish it was all mine. Selfishness is an attitude that is unwilling to help. And those who are self-seeking are only thankful when they're getting what they want. That's not true thanksgiving. That's sin. It's not about God. It's about self. And so you can and you will rationalize and come up with a dozen reasons why it's not your job or why it's okay for you to sit and watch while others need help. Or here's my favorite. You come in when the job is almost done or done and say something like this. Oh, do you need, do you need me to help you? I could have I done that. I could have carried that to the car for you. Yeah, I know. You could have, but you didn't. Second Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, who served. That's the second enemy, selfishness. You won't be thankful if you're selfish. And let me read Paul's words to the Philippians again. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Those who are, are selfish want the attention and the appearance of being a servant, but through words, not action. And that leads to the third enemy, to overflowing thankfulness. And that's a grumbling spirit. Now, we all know what this is. Someone with a grumbling spirit is never content with the work of others. It's always someone else's fault. It's what someone else did that causes their lack of thankfulness. I would encourage you, beware, because just like pride, if you're, if you're a grumbler, you're defending yourself even as you're hearing this. You're thinking things like, well, I mean, that's not exactly me because if they would have done this, then I wouldn't have been grumbling. Philippians 2, 14 through 16, do all things, all things, without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Do all things without grumbling. James 4, verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you won't be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Pride, selfishness, and a grumbling spirit are all enemies of thanksgiving. We, we will not, we cannot be truly thankful if those are what are evident in our lives and in our heart. 
And so what are the evidences to overflowing thanksgiving? What does it look like? First is this, humility. If pride is an enemy, humility is evidence. Those who truly understand who God is and are grateful for His grace in their lives are humble and they're thankful. Because a right perspective of God and His grace produces humility. You see that so clearly with Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. The train of His robe filled the temple. And he goes through this description I saw angels calling one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. So he has this right display of who God is and what He's like, but he also, we see, has a right perspective because his response is, and when I saw him, I cried, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This right perspective of who God is, the one who's worthy of all thanks and praise and glory and honor, immediately brings to him a right humility. Psalm 138, verse 6, For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. How how wonderful for Isaiah in that moment to receive grace, to be cleansed. It's that reality that brings genuine, overflowing thanksgiving. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. The first evidence of overflowing thanksgiving is humility. The second is this, it's, it's serving others. Again, an enemy is selfishness. If you want to know if you're overflowing with thanksgiving and not selfish, look how you serve. And we don't want to deceive ourselves in this because this is tempting. It's tempting to serve others in public to get the attention or the recognition or the the title of a servant. But that's selfishness. What about when no one else is watching? When it's just you and your family or just those you work with, what then? Again, we see this with Isaiah, this this humility before God who's sitting on the throne and crying out to him and receiving grace from him. And the response is, as God calls, who will go for us and who shall we send? There's this instant desire to serve. Here am I. Send me. I'll serve. I'll do whatever it is. 
Do you have a heart to serve or or a heart that only looks like a servant to get the attention? Thanksgiving is evidenced by true selflessness and serving others. Paul writes again to the Philippians in chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The one person in all of human history who deserved to watch as things needed to be done who deserved the worship and the glory and the honor for all of eternity, came to us and as an example to us and as a way of salvation for us, served us. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So Paul says, Look like that. Do nothing from selfish ambition. But just as you look at Christ for salvation, look to him for your example. Jesus says in Mark 10, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Second evidence to overflowing thankfulness is serving others. And third is this, it's prayer. The third evidence to overflowing thanksgiving is prayer. This is so clear. There's so many texts that would support this. If you are overflowing with thanksgiving, you are often in prayer. Colossians 4.2 says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being on guard with thanksgiving. ESV Study Bible note says this, Thanksgiving leavens prayer so that it does not become merely a selfish pleading to have one's desires fulfilled. Genuine thanksgiving manifests itself in prayer. Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 5, Verses 15 through 20, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything 
to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's, that's prayer. Giving thanks always and for everything to God. That's prayer. Thanksgiving overflows into prayer. It fuels prayer. A thankful person will be a prayerful person because the direction of overflowing thanksgiving is first vertical. It's toward God and then horizontal to others. And therefore, prayer is an evidence to overflowing thanksgiving. If you want to know if you are a person who overflows with thanksgiving, what does your prayer life look like? And so then, those are the enemies and the evidences of overflowing thanksgiving. Where does it come from? What's the explanation to overflowing thanksgiving? Where does it come from? How and why can Paul say to give thanks in all circumstances? All of them. All of the circumstances in our lives, everything that comes. Paul says, give thanks. Be thankful. Why ought we to be marked by thanksgiving? Why should we walk in Christ overflowing in thanksgiving? And the answer is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm telling you, no matter what the circumstances of your life are, if you are found in Christ, it is not because of you, it's not because of your circumstances. Your circumstances may be able to give a blow to thankfulness, but they cannot kill it because thankfulness is far deeper than circumstances. And if you are in Christ and you know the gospel of Jesus Christ to be true, you always have a reason to be thankful. A thankful heart is one that believes the truth about God and about what He has done. That our circumstances do not define us. Christ defines us. Paul here in Colossians 2 is encouraging the Colossians to fight against falsehood with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving protects us from falsehood. A lack of thanksgiving deceives us into thinking that God is not good. Because somehow, because of this circumstance that I'm dealing with, God is not good. Falsehood makes us think that. And Paul's saying, fight against that with thanksgiving that's rooted in the gospel. Consider the truths of the gospel. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, thereby showing us, proving to us, demonstrating to us that God loves us. Not because of who we are. It's Romans 5.8. He loves us 
not because of who we are, but because his steadfast love endures forever. And so he demonstrates that love in that while we were still sinners, unlovable, Christ died for us. And he did that, as we read earlier, by demonstrating humility and sacrifice. Christ died. And in his death, he bore the wrath of God for the sins that we had committed and all of those who would ever trust in him had committed and would ever commit. And graciously, those who receive Christ Just as Christ was treated as if he had lived like them on the cross, those who receive him are treated by God as if they have lived like Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, we are counted, Abraham was counted, and we are counted as righteous. We are credited with the righteousness of Christ. We are treated, you guys, we are treated no matter our circumstances, we are treated as if we are living like Christ lived. We're counted as righteous. And we are promised an an eternal inheritance that far outweighs the difficulties we may face here. We ought to be the most thankful people on earth. And that overflowing thanksgiving ought to be evidenced in humility. It ought to be evidenced in how we serve. It ought to be evidenced in our prayer. That even our praying is not about us. It's about God and his glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. They're just a speck. There is, James refers to, they're just a a vapor, a mist. It's here and it's gone. For those of us in Christ, grace leads to thanksgiving that knows we are His, and we are His now in our circumstances, and we are His forever, for all eternity. As believers, we have all the more reason to be thankful. We celebrate it 
this week. We are purposeful in it this week. We gather with people for that reason, to express thanksgiving. But we ought to be marked by it always. One of the ways we partake of food as a means of thanksgiving is by taking the Lord's Supper. We eat a small piece of bread and a small amount of juice as a reminder that Christ fully satisfies through the greatness of his sacrifice that those elements symbolize. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you. I'm going to read it from Matthew 26. But as I read, I want to to encourage you to process where you are with God. Christ, if you don't know him, if you don't have a relationship with him, then my encouragement to you today would be to partake of him. Let the elements that that symbolize what he has done pass by and partake of Jesus today. Trust in him. If you want to talk with someone about that afterwards, I would love to talk to you. I know there's others that are here that would love to talk to you. If you're, if you're in Christ, if you're saved, if you know him, Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 26, Jesus is with his disciples. It says this, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. With thankfulness, as you hold the bread and you hold the cup as we sing together, consider the gospel. Consider the good news of what Christ accomplished for you. We have all all the more reason to be thankful so as you consider the bread and the cup and his body broken and his blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, with thankful hearts, sing to him, pray to him, and prepare to take it together. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're good, and what you do is good. And Lord, often our eyes and our hearts drift to ourselves and to our circumstances. We are like Peter on the water. We begin with our eyes fixed on you, even with the waves pounding, and so quickly turn to our circumstances and begin feeling as if we're sinking. Father, I pray, I pray for your help that our mind that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus and on the gospel of Jesus, and that we would know the truth, that we would even fight falsehood with thanksgiving, that we would be people marked by thanksgiving, that we would know that truly walking in you and with you, Jesus, displays itself with abounding thanksgiving. We love you and praise you. We're grateful, Lord, for Jesus. Grateful for the hope that we have. 
grateful that it's not dependent on what we can or cannot manufacture in ourselves, but what you have done in us. We are incapable, Lord, of manufacturing a thanksgiving that displays you. But you've given us your spirit. You've united us with Christ. And our hope is found in you alone. To help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.